0: Richie, appreciate that reading this morning from the Psalms. It fits in very well with the lesson that we're going to be looking at today. And that is the Ascension of Jesus. We use the song Ivory Palaces, uh, which are from this particular passage of Scripture. I want to remind you what we've looked at thus far. We started this series of lessons with the unlawful trial of Jesus using the song number 208, They Tried My Lord, uh, to set up that Uh, particular lesson and we looked at the unlawful trial especially in connection with the Sanhedrin that Jesus endured and then we made application to to that lesson for us that really day in and day out Jesus is on trial before us and as long as we're not in a covenant relationship with the Lord if, if you're not a child of God you are pronouncing judgment against Jesus you're saying guilty And those that once come to the Lord but maybe have not been serving Him the way that they should, they are pronouncing Him guilty. And truly, the Lord is on trial before us and the way that we conduct our life is either giving a sentence of the Lord that He is guilty or that He is innocent. It's unlawful trial, of course, if we say He's guilty because He is absolute innocence. The next lesson that we looked at the following week was the three crosses that stood on Calvary. We used song number 315 on the cross of Calvary. Our blessed Savior died. We noted that the only cross that um, could be used by Jesus was the one that He was on. We can't go to that cross. He was the sacrifice for each and every one of us. But there were two other crosses that were there. And in a metaphorical sense, we said we can choose one cross or the other. The one cross, of course, make accusation against Jesus, so a reproach against Him, de- denying who He is. And the other cross, in that metaphorical sense, is the one that said, Remember me, O Lord, when You come into Your kingdom. And then that promise was given unto that man that hung on that cross, just as it is to those that have that attitude and render obedience unto God, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And so we made application to that in connection with this particular lesson. What cross will you hang on of the two? The one that denied the Lord, rejected Him, the one that understood who He was. O oh Lord, remember me. And we made application to that. Last week we looked at the resurrection of Jesus. We used the song 155, Up from the Grave He Arose, to set that lesson up to take our minds to that particular point in time where Jesus came forth from the dead. His enemies thought that they had um, completed their task against Him, that they'd gotten rid of the problem, the issue of this Jesus of Nazareth. And what He did by coming forth from the grave actually solidified, ratified everything about life and truth and Scripture and God and all promises and prophecies and all that will come in connection with the end of time. And we made note in connection with that, there has to be a resurrection in our life in order to be a child of God, a likeness coming forth from the watery graves of baptism, no longer to be a sinner, Being separate from God, but being then in the likeness of His resurrection, we then are a new creation, a new creature in Christ Jesus, no longer a sinner, but now a saint. We understand that there were several things that were made possible by the resurrection, that is the forgiveness of sins, that is the hope of heaven. That is in the word and the truth that has been given to us by His resurrection. Again, all of life really is ratified by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, um, the conclusion, actually is not the conclusion, next week will be the conclusion. I cut and paste here, I'm sorry. This is not the conclusion. There will be one more lesson in this series. Today we're looking at the ascension of Jesus. And we use the song Ivory Palaces because Jesus ascended into heaven. He's no longer here upon this earth. My Lord has garments so wondrous fine, that shows his rightful place sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and we use Psalms 45, verse 6 through 8, in connection with that to make this presentation of this lesson and to talk about the ascension, ascension of Jesus. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God thy God hath anointed thee with the gladness of oil above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. He sets in those ivory palaces, of course, that metaphorical, figurative aspect of being in power and in control. And he is in that place, that position, because he ascended into heaven. I want you to think about what it was that Jesus did and why he did the things that he did by the ascension. First of all, he did some things before he was ascended he became flesh we understand that and that for a very particular reason of course because a body had been given him for sacrifice and not only that but a body had been given him to show forth that God's will can be done God has not given us his will his word his expe- expect expectations his commandments that we cannot follow, but we can follow them. And Jesus was an example in the flesh for that. And not only that, but that flesh was offered a sacrifice for each and every one of us. He lived in physical maturity. Uh, not worshipped as a child uh, in perpetuity, but rather he lived in physical maturity. And what he did as a mature adult is that example that is set forth for us. And we remember how He lived and we remember how He died. He was tried, He died, and He rose again from the dead. And now, He ascended into heaven. I've been asked the question in studies before with people, why didn't Jesus just stay after He ascended? Think of how many more people He could have brought to the truth if He had just stayed. You know, actually it had been detrimental to the truth if He had stayed. First of all, if possible, the Jews would have put him to death again if he had stayed here upon this earth. Think about that from John 11:47 through 50 The chief priests, therefore, and the Pharisees gathered a, uh, gathered a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many signs. If we, in talking of Jesus. If we let him alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans will come and take, him, take away both our place and our nation. And they, of course, were selfish in the situation looking at their position of authority among the people as allowed by the Roman government. But certain of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take account that it is expedient, needful for you, that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. We need to get rid of the Christ. And then think about the thoughts that we have here by that same Sanhedrin council in connection with Lazarus. In John 12, 9-11, The common people, therefore, the Jews, learned that He was there, speaking of Lazarus, that had been risen from the dead by this time. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom He has raised from the dead. But the chief priests took counsel that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of Him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. We see the defilement of mind and morals and character by the Sanhedrin council. They could not deny that a miracle had been done by God whenever Lazarus came forth from the grave. And really there was not a denial whenever Jesus later on would come forth from the grave. But rather as we look at this, they would have put Lazarus to death and why would they not again try to put Jesus to death if he stayed? There were reasons why Jesus left. And ascended into heaven, and they were needful for us that He did that. We're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at the reasons why Jesus had to ascend to set down in garments so fair in those ivory palaces. We're going to look at the reasons He did that, and really it comes back to each and every one of us. He did it for us, and we're going to see that. Why was it that Jesus ascended? Well, first of all, to set in authority. Where he ascended on high, he received coronation as king. It had been pronounced as king. I believe we see that when we look in John the 12th chapter. You remember the triumphal of Jesus, triumphal entry into Jerusalem by Jesus not many days before he was crucified. Remember the people had thrown palm leaves before him as he was riding in on a donkey, a colt that had never been ridden before, crying out, Hosannas to the king. Hosannas to the king. And we remember also there in John the 12th chapter, and I believe in connection with this, because I believe all the context fits together. After the people had said he was king and recognized that, I believe the Father also said he was king when we look in verse 28 of John the 12th chapter. The silence of heaven by the Father from heaven was broken for the third time during the three, three and a half years of Jesus' work here upon this earth. The first, of course, being at his baptism; the second at his um, uh, transfiguration on the mount. The first one in Matthew three, of course. The other accounts in the gospels. Same thing in Matthew the seventeenth chapter, and the other accounts in the gospels. And now the third time here in John the twelfth chapter, Jesus prayed, "Father, glorify Thy name." And the Father spake forth and said, "I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again." I believe what he was doing was confirming the fact that Jesus is King. But he had to sin to be coronated as king. In Luke, the 22nd chapter, verse 69 For now the Son of Man will be sitting at the right hand of the throne or of the power of God. This is a quote from uh, Psalm 110 and verse 1. Jesus now sits in power. We see it by what Paul wrote in Colossians 3 and verse 1. If then you were raised together with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. And that thought about being on the right hand shows, of course, preeminence and also shows authority and power. He's over all the angels, powers, and authorities, and he's over the church. We see in 1 Peter 3, and verse 22, it says there, who is on the right hand of God, speaking of Jesus, having gone into heaven, angels and authorities and powers being made subject to him. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 21 and 22, that he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He has put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. His rightful place of authority was facilitated by his ascension. It was made possible by him setting in that place of authority, that position of authority, by his ascension. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 to 16, which in his own times... He will show who is the blessed only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in light unapproachable, where no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power eternal. Amen. He is there in that place now. We don't see him in that place. But spiritually we must recognize him in that place, that he is our king. He is in power. He is in authority over us all therefore he had to ascend in order to take that position and he took it for us because a king leads and directs and rules over the subjects of the kingdom and as much like that man on the cross the one that said lord will you remember me when you come into your kingdom when you come into your rule he is in or over us today by the rule and authority of his word And we will see him someday as he is, as John said, as we read this morning, of course, in our class. We will see him as he is. We will see the coordinated king whenever time here on this earth is no more. But he also ascended in order for inspiration to be given God's will, the gospel, that new covenant. When we look at John the 16th chapter, verse 7 through 12. Jesus before he went to the cross told his apostles, Nevertheless I tell you the truth it is expedient for you that I go away. It's needful for you that I go away. For if I go not away the comforter will not come unto you that is the comforter the paraclete the holy spirit. And he is identified of course when we look back in the 14th chapter of John in verse 26 and the 15th chapter of John in verse 26. And he says if I don't go away, he will not come unto you, but I will send him unto you. In verse 8, and he, when he, that is the comforter, is come, he will convict, convince, or reprove, depending upon what version you read, the world in respect of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they do, believe not on me, but his word would testify. The gospel will testify of him. Of righteousness, righteousness because I go to the Father and you behold me no more. The very fact that he arose from the dead and ascended, show forth that there is truth and righteousness that does exist. Absolute truth and absolute righteousness, because he came forth from the grave. And of judgment, because the prince of this world hath been judged, and God's word now judges all, because sin is shown forth, By God's word to be that which is detrimental to man, that which transgresses then God's law. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But yet he started to show them those things, beginning on the day of Pentecost, as recorded in Acts, the second chapter, beginning in verse 1. Inspiration came to men. And that inspiration that came to men and also to women uh, that we read of in Scripture, but especially the men, who wrote down God's Word that we have record of, and of course what we have today then is God's Word, it is the Bible, that came about because of the inspiration that had been given to men here upon this earth. It was needful then that Jesus ascend in order for that inspiration, this Word, to come. And in connection with that Word, it was needful that Jesus ascend in order to be our mediator, when we look in John 16, chapter 7 through 12, that same passage that we just got through reading there, he talks about that which is from God's word, whenever the Spirit would bring forth by inspiration God's word in connection with convicting the world, and in connection with sin, righteousness, and judgment. And what he's talking about there is the truth of the gospel of Christ Jesus, which is the law of Christ Jesus. It took his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to ratify the new covenant, the new law, and Jesus is mediator of that. Think with me here as we look in Hebrews the ninth chapter, verse sixteen through eighteen, and we skip down to verses twenty-three and twenty-four. And here the writer says, "For where covenant is, the death of him having coveted must be offered. For covenant is affirmed over those dead, since it never has force when he who has coveted." is living while jesus was alive the new covenant the gospel was not in effect after he died it came then into effect it is that which is in effect today that law that we are under in christ jesus verse 18 says from which neither the first covenant speaking of the mosaic law was dedicated without blood it was dedicated with blood you remember where the dedication took place Of the law and also of the tabernacle through which the people received forgiveness, atonement, for their sins, before it ever began to work for the people, it had to be, first of all, sanctified by blood. Yes, it was animal blood, but it was a figure. Verse 23, Then it was needful for the figures of these things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves by better sacrifices than these, That is, the sanctification by the blood of Christ Jesus. For Christ did not enter into the Holy of Holies made by hands. He could not do that. He was not of the right tribe, where He was here upon this earth. He says, which are types of the true things, that is, which is in heaven, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus Christ is mediator of the new covenant for us, just as Moses was of the Mosaic Law. He's mediator of the new covenant for us today. But not only did he ascend to be the mediator of the new covenant, he is the mediator, he is also our advocate. An advocate in connection with the forgiveness of our sins. He advocates on our behalf before the Father for the forgiveness of our sins. And John points this out in 1 John 2 verses 1 and 2. My little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation relating to our sins and not relating to ours only, but also relating to all the world. That advocate advocate, is from that Greek word parakletos. That is a call to one side, especially in connection with aid, that helper, that comforter. But now in connection with forgiveness of sins, he is a propitiation that he in the Greek and it goes back really to the very thought about that kindred word as we see down at the bottom the kindred root word of propitiation is the mercy seat Jesus is our mercy seat in connection with forgiveness remember under the Mosaic law there was no forgiveness of sins until the day of atonement in which then blood was sprinkled upon the mercy seat for the people And then there was forgiveness, but there was always a remembrance every year of those sins, but not with Christ. His sins and iniquities He will remember no more. We see that from Hebrews 8 chapter and verse 12. But now, not that physical ark and its lid, the mercy seat, exists, but now Christ Jesus is our mercy seat. We see in 1 John 4 and verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation relating to our sins, the forgiveness of our sins, because He's the mercy seat. As Paul says in Romans 3, and verse 25, whom God set forth as propitiation through faith in His blood, as a demonstration of His righteousness through the passing over of the sins that had taken place before in the forbearance of God. If our, if our advocate, our mercy seat... Had not ascended into heaven, we would not have forgiveness. He had to go there to be an advocate for us, that propitiation, that mercy seat for us for forgiveness of sins. But not only that, he had to ascend in order to be our intercessor. And that in connection with prayers. We see, see, of course, um, as we look in 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2, My little children, I write uh, uh, to you so that I'm sorry I have I have a copy over there for some reason Romans 8 and verse 34 Paul says who is he that condemns it is Christ that died yea rather that was raised from the dead who is at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us he intercedes on our behalf by prayer I don't believe I, I don't believe as some have pointed out that we don't know how to word prayer as a matter of fact, We have a model prayer that was given to us when we look back in the Gospels. Some try to call that the Lord's prayer. It's not the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer is in John the seventeenth chapter. But we have the model prayer, and Jesus teaches in that model prayer what to pray for. So it's not that we don't know how to pray. It's not that it's groanings that cannot be uttered. That from a standpoint of stammering lips and so forth, it's not that but rather that intercession in prayer for us is made possible by Christ Jesus. And so it says in Hebrews 7, verse 25, Wherefore also He is able to save the up uh, to the uttermost them that draw near unto God through Him, seeing that He ever lives to make intercession for them, to intercede on their behalf. We see in 1 Peter 3, verses 10 through 12, for the one desiring to love life and to see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, even his lips not to speak guile. Let him turn aside from evil. Let him do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his prayers are open to their and his and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And this is a quote from the thirty-fourth Psalm. And he is ready to listen to the prayers of his children. And to intercede on their behalf, he made that possible by the ascension. He's not—I don't believe—intercepting the prayers and then straightening, straightening them up. And I don't believe the Holy Spirit is doing that, as taught by some. But rather, our approach before the throne is made possible by our intercessor, Christ Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Majesty on high. John says in First John three eighteen through twenty two, "My little children." Let us not love in word, neither with tongue, but in deed and truth. Hereby shall you know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Because if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Stop there for just a moment. If our heart condemns us, God's word is what condemns us. God's will, his gospel, his law condemns us. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have boldness toward God, we have confidence toward God because through His Word we understand that we are walking in the light as He is in the light. And so whatever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing to His sight. Children of God are the ones that have been given the second great blessing of all. And the first one is forgiveness of sins through Christ Jesus. And the second, I believe, the second great blessing to all is prayer. The medium of petition to God by our, by our intercessor in prayer. God's children is given the right to pray. To petition their father. To ask for supplications. To ask on behalf of others. He had to ascend into heaven in order to be our intercessor in order for that to take place. But he also had to ascend into heaven to be our high priest. Which really encompasses much of everything that we've already talked, back, uh, talked about before. And as we look at this, we see in Hebrews the seventh chapter, verse eleven through seventeen. We understand that while Jesus was on this earth, he could not be a high priest; he could not be a priest. And the writer points this out. He says there, beginning in verse eleven of Hebrews seven. Now, perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for that the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? Stop there for just a moment. Uh, the, the, the Hebrew writer has, of course, been presenting all along to these Hebrew Christians. Don't leave Christ Jesus. They're thinking about leaving Christ Their confidence in Him, they're looking unto Him and going back under the Mosaic Law. They're suffering many things by the hands of fellow Jews that are not Christians at this time. And they're looking at leaving Christ. And his message in Hebrews is, don't leave Christ Jesus. And he makes arguments all the way through of the things that are better in Christ Jesus than it was under the old Mosaic Law. And one of those things is the priesthood. Because now he relates the priesthood of Christ Jesus, not like the Arianic priesthood, but rather like the priesthood of Melchizedek that came before Abraham and received tithes of Abraham. The point that the Hebrew writer is making to the Jews at this time is, is that there are priests and were priests and is a priest now, Christ Jesus, that is not of Aaron, but still a priest of God, and that is Christ Jesus. And so he says that in verse 12 because of this order of Melchizedek that is not the order of the Mosaic law a priest has now appeared that is Christ there is a change in the priesthood. There is necessity a change then in the law as well. That's the reason we're not under the Mosaic law today we're under the law of Christ Jesus. For the one whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and in connection with the tribe of Moses said nothing about priests. Stop there for just a moment. If anyone ever says to you, well, the only way that God can ascribe His will, His rule, and His law is by what He has said, and whenever He doesn't speak, well, then we can speak, we can say anything that we want to. Well, right here, the Hebrew writer says that's not the case. There's authority even in the silence of God. And in the silence that was given by the Mosaic Law that uh, concerning other tribes that only when he made specific application to or statements concerning um, the, the tribe of Aaron and priest, it excluded then all other tribes. Judah was not mentioned. Gad was not mentioned. Simeon was not mentioned. All the other tribes that were there were not mentioned. They didn't have to be. Because God gave specific in the Mosaic Law, it is the Arionic tribes, uh, the Aaronic priests that I'm looking for. This becomes in verse 15, more evident when another priest arises in likeness of Melchizedek, not by the old law, a change in the law, Christ Jesus, who's become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, not talking about, of course, his lineage, because it's not about lineage. Jesus is our high priest spiritually but by the power of an indestructible life. For as witness of him, you are priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let me just make a little side comment about this Melchizedek. Because he's mentioned there in the 7th chapter in verse 3, and some have said, well, he was a spirit being, Melchizedek was a spirit being priest. Because it says in Hebrews 7 and verse 3, is without mother, without father, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. It's not talking about uh, Melchizedek being a spirit being. What he's saying is, is as far as the record of the Mosaic tribes are concerned, or rather the tribes of Israel are concerned, he has no descent. He has no genealogy in connection with the 12 tribes. He doesn't have a beginning of days nor end of life as recorded and kept in the temple of all those that were born under the tribes of Israel. But he is like unto the Son of God. He continues a priest forever because it is not in connection with the old law, but rather with the new law that has been changed, like unto Melchizedek. And so the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 6 19 through 20, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, <coughs> excuse me, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. <clears throat> one moment please <clears throat> after the order of Melchizedek and we can put in in a parenthetical thought not after the order of the Arionic priest under the law and so the Hebrew writer says in the 7th chapter verse 26-27 for it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners and exalted above the heavens he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once and that was while he was upon earth for all that he did for all then when he offered up himself. We have Jesus then serving as high priest and he had to ascend into heaven in order to be our, our high priest because he could not be one here upon this earth. There was a need then for him to ascend into heaven. But also, he needed to ascend into heaven so that faith could exist. And we look at the necessity of faith in connection with this. John twenty twenty seven through 29. Remember, this is Jesus talking to Thomas after Thomas has said, I will not believe that he is risen from the dead unless I feel the nail prints in his hand thrust my fist into his side. Jesus invites Thomas to do that later on when he appears now to all the 11 that are left. And this is after Jesus' resurrection. And he says, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because you have seen me, thou believest, Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. He points now to the blessing of those that have faith in Christ Jesus. Not that he's standing here upon this earth, that wouldn't be faith whatsoever, that would be evident, but rather that he is at the right hand of the majesty on high, serving for us as mediator, advocate, intercessor, high priest, and king, that we had been given His word because he went into heaven for us. And now that new law exists. Think about it from the principle that is presented in Hebrews 11 chapter verses 1 through 3. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report by it that is by faith. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. No one was there watching him do that. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In other words, it was absolute creation. That is something from nothing. That takes faith. And so the Hebrew writer says in verse 6 of Hebrews 11 chapter, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. You understand That if Jesus was still upon this earth, we wouldn't have faith that he exists. We would know that he exists and we can only be blessed then by the faith that we have. But he also ascended. He also ascended so that he can return. You cannot return if you've not left. And his return is spoken of by the angels that were standing there when he ascended into heaven. As his eleven were present at that time, along with two other men. At least two other men. And we see in Acts 1, verses 9-11, through When he had said these things, as they were looking, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were looking steadfastly into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And he said... Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye looking into heaven? This Jesus who was received up from you into heaven shall so come in likeness as ye beheld him going into heaven. He had to go away so that he could return, as Paul says in first Thessalonians four, sixteen through eighteen. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven, with a shout with the voice of the archangel with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive that are left shall together with them be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in there, and there shall we, we shall ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. He's talking to Christians, and Christians can be comforted by that. And Christians, as Peter says in Second Peter 3 and verse 12, can look for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. By reason of the, which the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved; the elements shall melt with fervent heat. But according to his promises, to his promise, we look not for new heavens and a new earth. Where it, we look, then, for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. Let me just tell you that if you're a child of God, the last thing that you want is for Jesus to return right now. If you've not been obedient to His will, you, don't, you do not want the Lord to return. But if you are a child of God, it is comforting. As a matter of fact, you will stay, say the words that we see, Paul utter, and also John, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And I think that as you get older in life, age-wise, and I think also, maturity-wise, spiritual maturity-wise, as you as you become more experienced in God's Word, that you have that attitude. And you look at all the things that are taking place right here in our country that I'm sure that, that many of us have thought to ourselves, I cannot believe that this would happen in the United States of America, the things that are taking place right now. And I would not be surprised because I have, and I'm sure that some of you have said, Lord, Lord, come. Lord Jesus, come. I, I don't understand the great mercy to the full extent of God. I don't, ex- I don't understand the great patience that God has. With all these things taking place, the denials that He has that, uh, by, by men here upon this, this earth that say that He doesn't exist, I don't understand that. I don't understand how God just cannot wipe it all away right now. Our attitude should be, because we're Christians, we look forward to that. But if you're not a child of God, or you're not living the the life that you should live as a Christian, the last thing you want is for Him to come. You need to be in a condition and a situation where you are ready. Jesus' ascension was necessary. First of all, for us to have a king to lead us. For us to have the true Word of God that came forth that we have record of now, the absolute truth and the only source of absolute truth that exists on this earth. For us to have the most excellent law through Jesus, our mediator, He being mediator of the law. For us to have an advocate in connection with forgiveness of our sins, a means by which we can be forgiven of our sins. And you can be forgiven of your sins this day if you will render obedience unto God. If you're not a child of God, you can be baptized for remission of your sins. If you once were a child of God, don't wait. Don't wait for us to get back in the building and then come and then make it known while we're all present because I will tell you, we're all present right now. We're all gathered together right now. It is spiritual as it is, even as it is at the building. We're spiritually together. And it's not about the place where you would return to the Lord. It's about spiritually returning to the Lord. So if you, if you were once baptized, but you've not been obedient to the Lord this day, ask for the prayers of your brethren. And they'll pray with you and for you. And your advocate will forgive you of your sins. We see that, of course, when we look in First John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is because He is our advocate. But He ascended into heaven also to be our intermediary between us and God in connection with prayer. In other words, He's made it possible to approach the throne of grace by living the life that He lived, by His death, by His resurrection, and by His ascension. He's made it possible for us to have Him as our intermediary so that we can stand before the throne of grace to ask for the needs that we have in this life and to give thanks to our God. He had to ascend into heaven and now we have this great high priest who offered up sacrifice for us once and for all while he was here upon this earth. And we have that great high priest. He had to enter into heaven for us to be pleasing to him by faith because we do not see him. But we understand that we are blessed not by what we see but by what we understand and believe through God's word. And for us to have the hope of glory He ascended into heaven to be in that place where we want to be. So I ask you this this morning, will you receive Christ Jesus and what He has done for us by His ascension? It was all needful for each and every one of us. If Jesus had not ascended, we would not have these great blessings. And we would not have Him working for us in all these different elements and aspects that we've looked at this morning. And he is there, and he is waiting for you to respond to the truth. He's there and waiting to hear you, to hear you give up your own will, and to follow after his. If you would this morning, contact our, one of our shepherds, Brother Daryl Glover or Brother Greg Stroud. There's their phone numbers that I have on the screen. If you can't get a hold of them, get a hold of our deacon, Brother Warren. Give me a call, or let any one of the members of this congregation know. If you want to be baptized, submission of your sins, or if you want to return to the Lord. Returning to the Lord is not coming back to the building. You need to be in the spiritual relationship with the Lord. It's not about place. Don't put it off. The Lord ascended for you. Make His work profitable in that ascension. Make it profitable in your life. There are those that we can help in any way as you ponder these things. We're going to sing a song of encouragement led by our brother Warren at this particular time.